to do a sermon tonight from the book of Matthew, and the title of my sermon is Rupture and Repair. Now, hopefully that gets you thinking a little bit. Okay, what is he going to talk about? Rupture and Repair. And I want to talk about this thing of conflict. Now, we know that conflict is a word that is very prevalent in this day and age. We think of uh, the war in Ukraine, which is still going on, or we think of the war that's just started now in Israel, between Israel and Gaza. And it's these things that happen. There's conflict always happening in the world. But then maybe you think you know people in your family who are involved in conflict, or maybe you know friends who are involved in a conflict. I'm sure all of us do to some degree. And while it's easy in some sense to, to distance ourselves from foreign wars and foreign families, it gets a little bit trickier when it becomes more personal. Because sometimes we can see a conflict from afar and go, I see what's happening, I recognize it, but then quite often it leaves our thoughts and we forget about it because it is so far away and it doesn't affect us personally. I know often when things happen in the news, everyone's on it, and then in a few weeks' time, everyone's like, well, the next thing's come up and you kind of forget about that thing. And uh, that's just part of our culture, unfortunately. But if it doesn't affect us personally, I think we tend to move on. But what happens when conflict does affect us personally? And let me get more specific. What if there's conflict in your immediate family? How does that affect you? Because you know those people. They're, they're right there. You're engaging with them. And let me get more specific. What happens when there's conflict in the church family? Well, we all know there's never conflict in church, so that's fine. And we can just move on from that. And I'm gathering from your laugh that it is something that happens in the church and something we need to grapple with. And this afternoon, I'm hoping to talk through this topic because it's a foundation, really, of church life. And I'm hoping to remind us and remind myself, actually, this thing of how do we deal with conflict in the life of the church? Because I can guarantee you, at some point in your Christian walk, you will feel like someone has sinned against you. You will feel that you have sinned against someone. You will feel hurt and offended. And what do we do in those times? And more importantly, what does the Bible teach us to do in those times? So show of hands, who's ever been offended in the church? Okay, so I'm preaching to the converted, but hopefully I can help you. Because I'm even thinking with, with YWAM, as you guys are coming in for six months, you're coming into a new season, you're meeting new people, I can guarantee, well, I hope not. I can guarantee at some point there might be something that you need to, to deal with or process with someone else in the team. Um, let's see, maybe, maybe not, hopefully not. We'll pray it doesn't happen tonight. <laughs> but this is a foundational teaching, and I think let's revisit it. So I'm going to preach from a passage of Scripture in Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 15 to 17, and it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens, you have won your brother over. But if he does not listen, take two or more others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is teaching this principle. and He's going, we need to resolve conflicts that happen inside the body of Christ. Now, I think primarily this scripture is talking about a sin that has occurred. So, so say, for instance, I rob Margaret. 
then that's an obvious sin that someone go, she could confront me and go, Dylan, you robbed me. Or, or what if there's a physical altercation in the life of the church? That feels like it's something you can see and that is tangible. But there's many different kinds of situations in the life of the church that are sometimes not as obvious. I don't know when last someone has physically fought inside the church. I hope not any time recently. Or I'm not aware of it, and that's good. But conflicts do arise. And there's all kinds of situations. In fact, I think there's kind of a spectrum of the most obvious heinous thing to maybe this side where there's a perception or a perceived offense or sin. And I think we need to address both of those things because obviously it isn't always obvious, but sometimes there is a perception that I've been wronged. And we need to address that. We need to go, how do we, how do we move forward past that where we find reconciliation with the people that we feel have either have sinned against us or we feel have sinned against us. Does that make sense? You can, you can engage, you can speak, it's fun. <laughs> okay, and it's important to note, just as we read this passage, it says, if your brother sins against you, what is he saying? And he's saying this is an in-house conflict between brothers and sisters. Right, so... How do we deal with that when there's an in-house conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ? Because offense inside the church happens between brothers and sisters in Christ, most of the time. And so I think there's some rules that we need to apply to a situation like that. And I call these the rules of engagement when something happens in the life of the church where we need to address and find reconciliation. And these rules are found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6. And we all know it. Rule number one, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy, it is not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. It takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so while the Bible does tell us to confront, go and confront, I believe that our, our posture should be characterized by this passage. Approach with humility and always be looking for reconciliation and restoration. So I want to work through a passage of Scripture, specifically Matthew 18, 15. And I want to look at three words. I want to look at the word go, I want to look at the word privately, and most importantly, I want to look at the word win. That is the result we are after. Okay, so if your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. And so the first step is to Go to your brother. I mean, it's, it's intensely practical, but actually I think it's the hardest step in many ways. Because what it requires, it requires the person who's been sinned against to go to the person that has sinned against them. That is not easy. And I'd, I'd say this, I don't think it's often the first thing that we do. But I think actually it's the first step, it's the most important step, because actually it will dictate how the whole thing goes. And I also think this, I think the longer that we wait, the bigger the issue grows. And actually, I think the bigger the issue grows, the bigger the rift between the two parties becomes, and it becomes harder to resolve. I'd say this, if you or I don't go, the offense 
will grow. I um, Who knows what supping is? Okay, Karen knows, yeah. Karen's been, so for, for those of you not from South Africa, supping is stand-up paddleboarding. And basically you stand on a paddleboard and then you, you paddle. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, so Julian and I went stand-up paddleboarding uh, two weeks ago to Simon's, in Simonstown Harbor. So there's a, a beach called Long Beach and we took out these sups and then I was feeling, well, I need some exercise. So let's sup to the harbor wall. Okay, I mean, it wasn't that far, but I, I was feeling like I was up for it. I was like, let's go for it. And so we start paddling and, you know, I'm feeling good. And as we're paddling, we see a jellyfish in the water. Now, I don't know if you know what a jellyfish is, but they are not friendly. And they have long tentacles. And if those tentacles wrap around your leg, you're in a world of pain. Okay. There was one jellyfish. I was like, that's okay. And I said to Julian, look how beautiful the jellyfish is. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and so we keep going towards the harbor wall. And suddenly, one jellyfish becomes two and then three, and then four, and then five. And I'm going, okay, this is still okay. Like, if I fall in, I can still jump between the gaps. Like, there's enough space around them for me to get through this okay. Anyway, we keep going, and eventually we get to the harbor wall. And I'm not lying when I say that there were hundreds of jellyfish below us. All of a sudden, I was like, we have just paddled into a school. What do you call it? I don't know. A jelly... <laughs> a very dangerous group of jellyfish. And what happens when you're on a board, and I don't sup very often, so I'm going, I'm feeling good, and my brain is going, you're in danger. And so my brain tells my legs, obviously, that you need to start shaking a little bit because you're scared. And I'm on this board paddling like this, and suddenly I'm overcompensating, and I'm kind of, I'm petrified of falling in. And when you don't want to fall in, usually the, the thing that you do do is fall in. And I'm just going, Julian, I'm just leaving, bro, and I'm just out of here. And I just... <laughs> And the more I paddled, the more they were. It was, it was hectic. I don't think Julian was scared. I don't know. Were you? No. A little bit. <laughs> Jules is like, he was a little bit scared. I was like, I think I'm going to die. This is insane. Like, I'm very worried right now. And so I eventually get out of there. And actually, slowly, as you're going out, you see that the, the hundreds become less and less and less. And the closer I got to shore, there was one. And I was like, okay, I think I'm out of danger. And as I thought of that analogy, I think it's a lot like a fence. And if we don't deal with the first offense, that just multiplies. And it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Before you know it, you're stuck in this place where you're surrounded by a fence. You're literally surrounded by a fence, as Jeff Kidwell would say. <laughs> and I think we just need to be a little bit wary of that. The scripture says that an offended person can become like a fortified city. And all you can see is the wrong things that that person does. So the longer we leave something, the more we see that person doing wrong. Where the first thing was okay, but now every time they look at you, you there's something they're doing wrong, and you're offended. It says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And so the longer we leave it, the harder it becomes for us to go and talk to that person. And I think we can find ourselves in serious trouble. So my encouragement to all of us and to myself is to go as quickly as possible. If you feel like something has, has happened to you and you feel offended, go to that person. I'd say before the sun goes down, make right. Try and figure this thing out as quickly as possible. 
And our second word is privately. So we had to go, but we had to go privately. Now, this is a hard one, I think, for most people. Because basically, when you feel like something is, someone has sinned against you, everything inside of us wants to tell everyone around us that we have been sinned against. Does that feel true? Maybe I'm the only one. Everything inside of us wants to tell everyone around us that we have been sinned against. I think it's just natural. It's like I've, something's happened. I need to tell people. And yet scripture says, go to that person privately. We feel this need to be vindicated, and so we build up these alliances and find people who agree with us, when actually all we should be doing is going to the person who sinned against us. And we talk, and Scripture is so clear in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it eat its fruit. Or James 1.19, I love the Scripture. My beloved brothers, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to anger. How often when we are angry are we so quick to speak, and very seldom listen? I need to tell you what's happening to me. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying the, the, the fact that you might have been sinned against. I do, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, saying, not saying that, of course. But scripture is so clear. Go privately and confront the person. And so we need to fight that urge or anger inside of us and go privately to the person, as I've said, and don't involve anyone else in the situation. Don't talk to anyone, don't drop hints, and my favorite, don't post obscure Facebook messages. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who does that. But it's funny that when, when something's happened, you, you suddenly find this scripture that's so applicable. And you want to put it up for everyone to see. As a subtle kind of, maybe they'll read between the lines. No. We've all done, come on, we've all done it. Seriously, no, okay. I have a wife who tells me not to post stuff. She's like, Dylan, no. But, but let me, and scripture does say go to the person just between the two of you. But I want to say this, if you're, if you're a single lady and you feel like a, a man has sinned against you, that can be very hard. And we need, to, we need to reckon with that. I would say, and there have been situations like that, if that is a situation, go to uh, maybe one of the leaders and say, would you come along with me? And it's not the perfect science, it's not the perfect way of doing it, but I think there's safety in that. And that you go, hey, would you just come along with me and just listen and be a witness? You know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable going by myself. Let's just go straight to step two. Can you come along with me? Okay, so I'm not expecting, say, Rosie to go to Craig if, she, if he's offended her. That would be unwise. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point of this whole sermon, Craig. Not <laughs> no, I'm joking. So we approach in private to avoid the offense going public. And hear what I'm saying. We're not trying to hide something. It needs to be dealt with properly. It's not about hiding things, okay? If we're hiding things and, and hiding behind things, then there's a problem. Then we're not living in the light. Then actually we're not loving truth. We need to be loving truth and finding the truth in every situation. And it's not about humiliating or public shaming a person. It's not about coming to church and going, well, this person did this. No, privately, between the two people. 
And please, 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 can we avoid the mindset of saying, if you hurt me, I'll hurt you. <laughs> but we're all Christians, so we don't do that. Because John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know you by disciples, by your love for one another. Loving in the good times and the bad times. It's easy to love someone when everything is going well. It is hard, but we call to it. And I think actually it goes against a lot of what we're taught and a lot of kind of what we see in schools and society where I think on social media where someone is wrong, the first thing is to shame them publicly or to cancel them or to do something to get back at them. That's not what Scripture teaches us. So, if you do, if you feel like someone has sinned against you, approach, go to them, approach them privately. But first, take a minute, submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and find God's heart for the situation. And approach them in order to win them. So, the last point is win. It's more important to win your brother than to win an argument. This, confronting your brother is not about winning an argument. As much as we are called to, to thrash these things out, and we should, we need to be honest and open and talk about how we feel, but it's not about winning as much as it is winning your brother and finding unity again. They've sinned against you, and it means that uh, maybe you're tempted to go in with guns blazing. But Ephesians 4.26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not let the devil take, do not give the devil a foothold. <laughs> what gives the devil a foothold? Anger. And again, I think this is countercultural in many ways, but we are called to win our brothers over after, the whole point of really going to the confronting is to win them over. We have to win them over. And here's, here's a quote I heard recently. It's hard to be smart when you're angry. Who of you know that? Spouses, when you fought with one another. Some of the stuff we say is not smart. <laughs> But we should approach with this thing of love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love takes no pleasure in evil, and it rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that should be our posture when, when, when trying to resolve things in the life of the church. And why do we do this? Why? Why? We could just go, well, I'm just going to sweep it under the carpet and forget it ever happened and just move on with my life. And I think what happens then is what you said is offense just grows and grows and grows and grows. And that's not helpful either. So we need to figure these things out. And we do it because Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to persevere, sorry, and with diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The NIV says this, it says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort.
And so there will be times where there's conflict in the church. And we as a church need to know how to deal with it and how to resolve it well. So that we can win our brothers and sisters back. And not to get guarded and to build offenses and to become a, a, a fortified city in our own hearts. Now, as I was researching this sermon and this concept, there's this, there's this thing called Rapture and Repair, which is the title of my sermon. And what does that mean? And I'm going to read a quote here. It says, in general, bonds are developed and strengthened through the process of rapture and repair. People learn to handle insecurities in a relationship by building trust over time as they see each rapture or conflict in a relationship eventually leads to a deeper connection. Now, who's seen that where you've, you've had a conflict with someone in, in the church or in your life and then you've resolved it and you've come out of it going, I have a deeper level of trust with this person because they were, they were able to tell me exactly what they thought. Where's Eddie? Okay. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. We, we've got friends that that's happened to us. I can tell a story. We, um, we were new to the church many years ago and we... Um, We'd seen some things about friends of ours. I don't think they were right, actually, in hindsight. I'm not perfect. And so we, we'd said to someone else, hey, I think this person's striving or trying to, is, is reaching for something. Very wise. You know what I'm saying? I just discern that maybe they're reaching for leadership. <laughs> you kind of dress it up in this godly talk. And so we just left it there, and then we, they invited us for dinner. And I was like, okay, well, this is cool. Like, no one's going to know what I said. I'd forgotten about it. And so we get to dinner and there's, there's elders sitting at the table with them. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I guess they just made the party a bit bigger. That's rad. And uh, we have dinner and afterwards the dinner, the, the elders say, actually, these guys actually want to say something to you. And the conversation ended and they, they looked at us and said, we've been told that you, you said this is behind our back, that we're reaching for leadership. Why did you say that? I promise you at that moment, I was like, oh my word. <laughs> This is intense, and there's nowhere to go, because it's not your house, and you're sitting there going like, ah, I'm exposed. Good, let's deal with it. And actually, those guys are some of our best friends to this day. That, that was when Rosie was young. That must have been 15 years ago. We have a tight connection with them, because there was a rupture, and we took the time to repair it, and it was hard and awkward, and the discussion wasn't nice, but there's people that facilitated, and it worked, and now we consider them very good friends. And that is the point of this, to win the brother and sister back to Christ. They could have just gone, we heard this, you guys suck, we don't want to be your friends anymore. Doesn't, who's winning? The church isn't winning. So now you know something about me. <laughs> Not my finest hour, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, let me wrap this up. Again, the rest of the passage does say that if you don't win them the first time, it says, but if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by two or more witnesses. And obviously we get that from Deuteronomy, um, the Old Testament where that was a command. And then it goes a step further and says, if they don't listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, regard them as a pagan or a tax collector. But I, I do hope, and my, my prayer is that the, if the first, obviously the first step doesn't work and you don't find unity, then we are called to that. But, I, but every case is unique and different. I think we can't put this into a template and go, well, now we've done these things. And of course not. 
No, but we, we try to follow this as a, as a guideline and go, this is the way it should be done. But I, I would say, most times I've seen this thing resolved in the first step. Maybe the second step. I can't even remember a case where I've seen this actually go to the point of bringing something to the church in a long time, to be honest. Because there's, this, there's a wanting to reconcile and a humility of wanting to find unity with people. And every situation is unique. It can't be rushed. And we need to take our time to think through these things. So, in conclusion, <laughs> as a church, can we focus on step one for a season? Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, if there are people in the congregation that you are offended with, would you take the bold step of reaching out to them? <laughs> and if you do, if you, something arises and you feel sinned against, then would you follow these steps? Go privately to win. Okay. Why don't we bow our heads? Yeah, Lord, I pray that we would take your word seriously, Father God, that as a church we would want to find reconciliation, Lord Jesus. And I, I pray that we, as a body, would do this well, Father God, where perhaps we haven't done it well in the past. I pray that we would do it well, Lord Jesus, that we would uh, read your commands and read your scriptures and uh, be good and quick to resolve any kind of offense or discrepancies between anyone or between each other in this church, Father God. I really do pray that, Lord God, that there would be short accounts between people, Father God, that we'd want to be a people who live in the light and uh, who keep no record of wrong, but are robust in wanting to resolve things and to find unity and in humility walk forward, Father God. I really do pray that. And then I'm very aware that I don't know everyone in this room. And as a church, obviously we were singing now the, the, the missionary anthem of, of course, we are passionate about souls. And perhaps you've listened to the sermon and you realize that you, you don't know the Jesus that we're speaking about or singing about. Or maybe your life currently is filled with conflict and anxiety. And maybe you've tried to resolve those issues on your own and have failed. You see, Scripture also tells us that we are in a spiritual conflict, a conflict that we can't solve or win. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in, desperate, you are in a desperate situation. The consequence is not being separated from the church or from a brother or a sister in Christ, but it's being separated from Christ forever. Now, what do I mean by that? Being separated from Christ means an eternity of conflict, pain, and anguish with no relief or respite. Let me say that again. Being separated from Christ means an eternity of conflict, pain, and anguish with no relief or respite. And Scripture tells us that those outside of Christ will wail and cry out for eternity. And this is serious. Scripture says that all have sinned, which means we are all at one point separated from Christ. We've all broken God's divine law, and we've all acted against conscience, been immoral, and the result of that is conflict with God. And yet, knowing this, knowing we can't solve this dilemma on our own, God sent his son. 
and a final solution to the conflict in our hearts to solve the tension we have to rescue us once and for all. We all know the scripture, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is only one way to have peace with God. That is asking him to forgive you of sinning against him and accepting his forgiveness through the shed blood of Christ. That is the only way the, in, the internal conflict will ever end. That is when you will have true peace. And he invites you today to accept this peace treaty with him. And so my question then is, is there anyone who accepts the invitation from Christ to receive forgiveness of their sins? And often what we do is we'd ask someone to raise their hand as a sign of surrender and going, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I don't want to spend eternity away from you. 